that I think is really important for a couple today to try to understand some of the money behaviors that go on in the in the household to avoid unnecessary conflict, which ultimately creates resentment, which ultimately adds to the statistics, these staggering divorce statistics that I think we collectively are absolutely working our asses off to not be a part of. Welcome to Your Financial Sobriety, a podcast that challenges conventional beliefs about money and life. We're here to talk about the only three relationships in life that really matter, our relationship with ourselves, our relationship with other people, and our relationship with money, and they are all tied very closely to one another. If you've ever struggled with any of these relationships at any point in your life, then you're in the right place. I'm Matthew Grishman, co-owner of Gebhardt Group. We're a private wealth management firm headquartered just outside San Francisco, California. I'm joined by my business partner and BFF, Jim Gebhardt, who got this party started when he opened the doors of our firm in 2005. Jim and I created Your Financial Sobriety because we want to help a lot of people. We're on a mission to become the most disruptive money influencers of our time. If after listening today, you're able to take one step closer to keeping your money more aligned with the people, places, and experiences that mean the most to you, then Jim and I just got one step closer to accomplishing our mission. Episode 15 is couples and money. Couples and conflict with money. Well, we're just coming off of episode 14, which was all about conflict, conflict resolution, conflict avoidance, resentments. What is the number one reason for divorce ooh, ooh, ooh. in the United States? Ooh, I know the answer. I know the answer. Matthew? We have Beth also I was joining say, us again today. I can see. I, I raised my hand because I want to concede that answer to our <laughs> lovely, lovely guest. Thank you, Matthew. The Mrs. Beth Gebhardt. Thank you. Thank you. Go right ahead. You can answer. I won't be put off. Should we Rochambeau this? Are we having a conflict? What's the number? What's the number one, number one reason for divorce in America today? I'm going to guess money. Bingo. Ding, 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 ding. What do we have for her, Bob? We have a trip to Mazatlan. <laughs> but you can't go under Shelter 19, COVID place, whatever this is now. So, yeah, it's money. Yeah. And it's money because there's so much resentment that builds up over money. In the United States, the statistics today on divorce are nearly one and two. In California... It's closing in on 75% of married couples are getting divorced in the state of California, and the number one reason is finance. So we thought this would be a very appropriate time to talk about it. You think there's any conflict over money at home with all this shelter-in-place stuff? Whew. I know there has been in my house. Sure. Every time I see an Amazon box hit my front doorstep, I start twitching a little inside. It's natural. Sure. Now— Having been a financial advisor for pushing 25 years, I have seen so many different examples of how couples handle money. And I was a pretty young Merrill Lynch rookie broker where I went to a client's house and classic, you know, ring the doorbell and I'm there in my suit and all that. And was they, it a they, welcome, suit? they welcome me into the home and we go marching into the dining room and the dining room table is set almost like I've never been in a, what's it, when a lawyer interviews you? A deposition. Thank you. It felt like it was set up for deposition because there was a station on, on this is on the, the wide side of the dining room table. There were two seats set up on the one side with 
stack of papers and a glass of water and a stack of paper and a glass of waters, water. And then there was my singular chair on the other side of the, the quote-unquote deposition table. How far apart were the two chairs that were next to each other? They were not. They were very sheltered in place when, before that was ever a thing. Like you could kick a field goal between those oh, two chairs. Oh, three points, absolutely. Yeah, okay. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced a couple that had mine, yours, and ours. Oh, wow. And I was immediately very uncomfortable at the concept. So he had his money, she had her money, and then they had their money. Yes. Interesting. And I've seen that many times over the course of my career. And it, it, it worked very, very well for them. And it's worked very well for many couples that, not many, quite a few couples that I've come across in my time together. But it's definitely in the minority of how okay. people handle and structure their money as a couple. So just dis disclaimer up front, by introducing this concept of his, mine, and ours, you're not necessarily saying that that is always going to result in conflict. I no. mean, that can work for people. No. But, but you've seen where it causes conflict. Thank you. That's where I wanted to go with it. Certainly, I've seen lots of conflict in my conference room when it comes to money. And oh. we're going to talk a lot about that. Yeah, you and me both. In this case, there was this very natural conflict that existed because you have your money and I have my money and then we have our money. But why do I have to use my money for our money? Yeah, I could see where that'd be a problem. And from my perspective of trying to help them manage it, it was really, okay, so we're going to manage your money a certain way and your money a certain way. And then what do we do with the money in the middle? So there's all different kinds of constructs for how people put this together. Now, that was with all of their money. I have seen many examples of where we have our money and then let's pick on Beth and I here in the studio together. Beth has a checking account and I have a checking account. Not serious amounts of money. But where you just, okay, I buy my golf stuff and my garage cleaning stuff and, you know, You're, it comes out of that. Don't forget about your car cleaning no, stuff. Honey, this is not what you and I have. I'm using this as an example of what I've seen with some clients. Where, oh, I thought you were you telling just, a real example of you, you and just, You just said it was about you and me. I did, but I'm, I should have said that it is an example of a model that I've seen oh. where you and I would have all of our serious money as ours. Oh, it's a hypothetical. It's yeah. a hypothetical. That's the word I'm looking yeah, what, for. Yeah, what if Beth and Jim each had their own checking accounts? And then we had a little checking right. okay. account. Yeah. I mean, we, have, we have some very good friends that do this. Yeah. And it works great. Yeah. Because, again, it's not a lot of money that are in these checking accounts. I mean, we're not talking tens of thousands of dollars that are being played around with. And then what we've seen most is the model where it's all of our money is ours. Mm. And we then in a very different way, invite conflict because we have to decide how we're going to handle. So we've seen client situations where there's kind of a threshold. You know, back in my underwriting days, I had an underwriting limit. I could only approve insurance cases up to a certain dollar amount. Right, before it needed to go up the ladder. And then I had to go up up the chain of command to, right. you know, the lieutenant colonel and, yeah. and get it. So I've seen it with couples where they have, let's say, a two hundred and fifty or a five hundred or a thousand dollar threshold, where if I'm going to go blow five hundred dollars on this gizmoch, mm -hmm. I need the lieutenant colonel, or as I like to call her, my commanding officer, <laughs> uh, approval. You could right? throw something at his that head I if know, you want. Ah, come yeah. on, we got to have some fun. Yeah, and some conflict while we're at it. There's a lot of conflict that can come sure. when money is in a marriage. Yes. 
because I don't remember, honey, do you remember all those courses that we took about money and marriage? Oh, you guys took them too? <laughs> the one we got at Effin? Well, that must have been the one that came after the child. Or was rearing. that just the one I got? I got it after. Yeah, the how to you raise children class. The how to, how to raise children as a married couple class. Well, was how, that before or right, after? Yes. Yeah. How the parenting class? How to marry? How to raise children? And how to manage your money were the three most important classes I took in college. I was so <laughs> grateful. Oh, did I just wake up in another? Don't dimension? forget home ownership. <laughs> oh, home ownership. Oh, right, yeah. right. How to repair your home? How to repair your home? Yes, and I am so of- good at that. I think actually YouTube has done an extraordinary job of saving marriages in this country. Oh, it's going to put the whole marriage counseling profession out of business. So why is that? I don't know. You tell me. It's all of the instructional videos for home home maintenance. Oh. That's been one of my joys in this whole COVID-19 stay-at-home shelter-in-place weekend is what fix-it project am I going to—I'm not particularly handy. And for my dear, dear friend Paul Sibley, who's probably listening to this, I hate you right now. (laughs) Because you're getting all this shit done around your house, pardon my French, because you're handy and I'm not. So I have to watch 17 instructional, instructional, I can even say it, videos. There you go. On how to fix drip irrigation. Nice. Nice. It's generally about a pot and a half of coffee. And then I'm so amped up, I get distracted and I do something else. <laughs> so then, so then, <laughs> facts. <laughs> yes. Wait a minute. I thought Five to Thrive says you're supposed to finish what you start. I eventually do. You do. Okay. Good. I do. The the point is that these classes on marriage and money, they don't exist. They don't exist. So maybe we so should let's do talk that. about it. I was gonna say let let's take this and put it on YouTube, and then we can create all these instructions for how we do this. And it's not because of what we do; it's because of what we've witnessed and experienced and learned from so many other people that we get to interact with. If you're gonna dive into this topic with us, you really got to go back and listen to fourteen a couple times. You got to go back and listen to episode 14 on conflict resolution and halt and wait and think because as you get into the money conversation with your spouse, your partner, there's landmines all over the place. And you don't necessarily know when you step in one because what is one of the things that you and I absolutely love to do with new clients? Once they engage with us, we want to know their money story. And my money story, as you are well aware, is filled with conflict with Amy. So much of the resentment that has gone back and forth years and years ago was over money, how I mistreated it and what that did to our family. And it created a lot of conflict in our life that we've had to work very, very hard to get past, to resolve, to heal from, to forgive. That's certainly been the case for us. I've made reckless decisions with money over the course of our relationship that you may or may not have resentments for that I will learn about in the car ride home today. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we're co- we're coming up we're coming up on an important date. Mother's Day? Uh we just passed that. Oh, sorry. We're coming up on an important date on May 20th. Something happened 15 years ago on May 20th. What did you do 15 years ago on May 20th? Have you ever seen the movie Jerry Maguire? I did. It's one of my favorites. I had my Jerry Maguire moment. Ooh. Only I didn't have a fish. I thought you did. It was a planned Jerry Maguire moment. It was a planned Jerry Maguire moment where I left the the wonderful brokerage firm that I was working for because I, I just wanted to do it my way. I wanted to venture out on my own and start my own firm. And God bless Beth for having my back and having having the confidence in me to take an absolute wild swing, unknowing 
if it was going to be successful or not. Did it cause any conflict, Beth? I don't necessarily. I don't. I I wouldn't categorize it as conflict because we talked about it ahead of time. It wasn't like it was just one day. Yeah, you know, it wasn't. Oh, so you didn't just. So this wasn't no. like the day I met you and came home and opened up the back sliding glass door and declared to my wife that I just met my future business partner. Pack our stuff. We're moving to the East Bay. It wasn't like that. No, it was. Not it was like a little that. different. Okay. No. No, so it was, continue. It was it was very planned out, and I don't remember how long it had been. I mean, it had been brewing for a long time, but then there was obviously a lot of things that had to happen logistically before he could actually leave. And but there was plenty of money stress, right? Sure. There was lots of money struggle that went on for years after getting the doors open, and then we got caught up in the whole you know oh seven oh eight oh nine real estate mess. So we had more money stress, as we've talked about in other episodes, with the fact that we own two houses for 51 weeks a mile apart. So let's stay there for a second. Did that cause conflict? The decision to purchase the second house before you sold Glen Road, did that cause any conflict? I don't remember, to be honest. I don't remember there. I mean, we both felt miserable because it was, We. I mean, we made the decision to buy the new house Together. jointly. Okay. So that wasn't a wild hair thing for you no. or for Beth. No. Okay. There there's some no. com there's some common theme here because I'm I'm sure I'm sure there are people who have made similar choices. Starting a business, buying a second house. We could take that even further and that decision caused conflict in the relationship. And and what I'd love to unpack for a minute or two is what happened for the two of you in that decision that kept conflict out of it. Because those are big money decisions that put you both under a lot of stress. How was conflict avoided? I'd love to unpack that a little bit. In the context of starting Gebhardt Group, I mean, I have to give Beth an extraordinary amount of credit because I easily could have taken a check. In our business, when you're at a brokerage firm and you have a book of business, you can play what I like to call hopscotch. So I could have gone to the firm across the street, down around the corner, across town, and they pay you a bag of money to come over and bring your clients. And then you got to stick around for a little while. You you have a contractual agreement that's generally seven to nine years. And financially, as a young family trying to get our feet underneath us, that was financially the right thing to do. To go to one of the other big Wall Street firms, Absolutely. take the big check, put a take whole bunch the big of money check, in the bank. The big old, as you like, you know, you yep, and I like yeah. to talk about the Ed McMahon check. Right. Right. The big six figure <laughs> Ed McMahon check for all of our, our middle aged and, and older listeners. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For our younger listeners, you're going to have to go Wikipedia who that is. But she just had my back because she knew that I would have been miserable. Three, four days after the check cleared the bank and we got this big bag of money and I'm now beholden to you know somebody else on the altar, I mean, I wouldn't be where I am today 15 years later. You and I wouldn't have been able to do this whole Siskel and Ebert kind of routine <laughs> uh, without Beth Another and, and her support because yeah. – I've always, and I've expressed this not just on the air, but I've expressed this directly to Beth that I, I, I wouldn't be here. You've shared a story before, and this is going off script a little bit. It's not on our little outline here today. You've, you've shared a story about what got you in the financial planning business. Mm -hmm. You talked about your drive, your desire, your motivation to be the world's greatest golfer. Mm -hmm. Your family didn't have the financial resources to do that for you. Instead, you spent your summers on hot roofs, tarring roofs with your dad. I got a great work ethic out of that, though. You sure did. And the reason you came into this business was so that that didn't happen to any other family on your watch, mm -hmm. meaning 
they would have the resources to support their children chasing their dreams. And themselves. Right. Now, the reason I'm bringing this story up, Beth, do you know that story? Have you heard that before? Oh, yeah. Okay. The reason I'm bringing this up is you were describing before that experience when you first got started with the big table at the client's house, and they've got the two chairs far apart that you can kick a field goal through, and you're on the other side. I had a similar experience with a client six months ago. We'll leave them completely nameless because chances are they might be listening. But this couple came into my office. They sat a mile and a half apart on one side of my conference table. I sat on the other side. And every time she opened her mouth to share and say something, he would criticize, condemn, judge, contradict whatever was coming out of her mouth. We could call it episode 14. Uh-huh. Code 14. There was conflict all day long. Every, I mean, everything we talked about in the last episode was happening in front of me with both of them. They were doing this to each other, and this is a couple that's been married for 34 years. And they've been doing this back and forth. And finally, I called a timeout. I said, guys, stop, 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 stop. We're not getting anywhere. I want to take this in a different direction. And I looked at him, and I asked him, we'll call him Bob. It's not his name, but we'll call him Bob. Bob, would you please share with Sally what money was like for you as a kid growing up? And Bob began to share a story about what it was like growing up in South San Francisco, where he had to share a bed with two of his siblings, had to pin his pillow to the bed at night, because if he didn't, it'd be stolen and gone. His family had so little resource financially that he had to literally pin his pillow to his bed. And that's not the first person I've ever heard tell me that story before. My mother-in-law, Carol, had the same exact experience growing up as a kid. She had to pin her pillow to the bed so she wouldn't lose it in the middle of the night. As Bob was telling this story of what living in poverty in South San Francisco as a kid felt like, I'm sure Sally knew he grew up poor, but that was the first time in 34 years of marriage she had ever heard him tell the story about the pillow. And you could see her entire body language changed, completely changed. And then we did the same thing for Sally. Now, Sally grew up with more resources. She grew up never wanting for anything. They didn't grow up super rich or wealthy, but they never wanted for anything. And so much of the conflict over the conversation at the table, this was a couple who came to us with nearly $5 million in, in assets, and he was getting all bent around the fact that she was spending 100 bucks here and there at Target. And she didn't understand why this was rattling him so much. We have so much. What's the big deal? But by just having this conversation about this childhood trauma as it relates to money, totally opened both their eyes up to, wow, I didn't know that about you. 34 years into marriage, they didn't know this about each other. Now when Bob and Sally come into my office, their chairs are right next to each other. They're holding hands. They don't interrupt each other. He will occasionally, but he'll catch himself, and they'll have a chuckle over it, all because of that simple communication of understanding the story. And so as I sit here with the both of you, talking about two of the most financially stressful times in your life and kind of pecking you to death a little bit about where was the conflict in that, there's some history and some conversation that the two of you have had that I think is really important for a couple today to try to understand some of the money behaviors that go on in the, in the household to avoid unnecessary conflict, which ultimately creates resentment, which ultimately adds to the statistics, these staggering divorce statistics that I think we collectively are absolutely working our asses off to not be a part of. And you two have done a beautiful job of having those types of intimate conversations to understand where some of that money behavior comes from. Thank you. You're welcome. I think that really should be exercise number one for couples is to sit there and to share 
their money story with one another to make sure. Because I used the word minefield earlier in the conversation. You sure did. And that was very intentional. So think of a minefield. It's when you accidentally step on something that blows you up. (laughs) Right? And in a marriage, there are minefields, particularly around money. So unless Beth and I have actually had the conversation around my desire as a kid to be a professional golfer, and while I had a wonderful childhood, we didn't have the extra resources for that kind of an option, then there's a potential minefield for her. There's a mine for her to step on if she were to challenge me on wanting to help protect people's dreams and whatever. Right. So I think a, a very, very powerful exercise for any couple that's listening to this is to sit down find a quiet moment, and share what money was like in your house growing up. And I am proud to say I could probably do that for 100 clients. Yeah. And it is so sticky. It is so emblazoned in my brain. I know exactly who those clients were that you were talking about. Yes, you do. Because I was in the room. And it's as you and I talk about the concept of being molecularly connected, when somebody tells you that story, you can't unsee it, right? Yep. You're listening to a story. I get it. You know, you can't unsee whatever that story is that your spouse has just shared with you about money. So do you think that not very many couples have those conversations? I, I don't. I don't. I really don't. I'll, I'll give you another example. So uh, on our little outline today here, one of the things we want to talk about with finances is short-term versus long-term expenses. What What's in the checking account versus what's in the retirement account? Mm-hmm. You and I have recent experience with a client. Again, we'll we'll leave them nameless. Where Bob, Bob and Sally Bob, sound like Bob and Sally are great. Let, we got lots of Bobs and Sallies. Bob and Sally came to us a number of years ago. Bob was diagnosed with a disease with a disease that was unfortunately going to take his life. And one of the things that we uncovered in that meeting is that Sally was in charge of the checkbook, and at the end of the month, there was always very little left in the checkbook, and that created a lot of anxiety. It created a lot of worry, and it started to create some resentment. She shared that with us in that first meeting. He, on the other hand, never really looked at the checkbook. He was always staring at the retirement accounts. Actually, you can change the names for this story. Okay. (laughs) To Jim and Beth? To Jim and Beth. Yeah, there you go. Yes. Yeah, This because this is, I mean, this is one of the things you guys struggle with. This is of whom we speak. Yeah. Yes. But, I mean, there are real clients that brought this to us, and I know this is something We're real clients, too. Oh, you are. (laughs) I should real ra- people. I think I'm going to raise your fee. You guys, you should be paying me more. So what what is what is that like for you when when you're looking at the checkbook and it's either seven dollars left or overdrawn? And I'm telling you, we don't. yeah, but the retirement accounts are fine. Yeah, the business is great. The retirement business accounts is great. Are, retirement accounts yeah, are fine. No, it feel it feels like a disconnect. It totally feels like a disconnect because it's that balance of short term versus long term. It's just like you were saying in the story of Sally and Bob. I'm the one in charge of day to day or month to month. Yeah, the checkbook. You know, checkbook. Jim's in charge of all the other big stuff. So it creates stress. It does create stress. Yeah. We've and, talked and, about that. And conflict. Yeah. Yeah. And you're much more cavalier about it. I guess because you see the the bigger picture. And you are involved in the bigger picture of our finances and our financial situation. It's just more top of mind for you. You know, you know those numbers and you're very good at numbers and retaining all that and that being a focus. And whereas for me, the big picture of our finances is not something that is top of mind for me. Well, Jim, I mean, Jim is playing the role of the army general who's sitting up at base knowing that his army is going to beat the living tar out of the other army, and you're the soldier on the <laughs> battlefield getting your ass kicked 
right? I mean, you're you're in the trenches with the checkbook every day, right? Dealing with the goes ins and goes outs every day, right. as we've talked about, right? And you and, and I, the mortar shells are going off, and people boom. are dying on the battlefield. Yeah, and this needs to be bought, and that needs to be replaced, and the dryer needs to be fixed again, and Murphy's got a thing that oh, yeah. we got to shave them, and and I'm playing with the little figurines on the big big map table where I'm moving <laughs> the fourth infantry forward <laughs> as we risk. Take, you, we're playing the game of risk. Right. You you and I are what we call in seven land in a spreadsheet looking at what the next 20 or 30 years is going to look like for our firm and our families. Right. And it's beautiful and rosy and wonderful. And here's Beth in the trenches. Yeah. So please use this story, this real life story of Bob and Sally, a.k.a. known as Jim and Beth. Okay. I was looking to protect you guys. But... To help help you with your own situation. Yeah. Right. Help you with your own conflict and, and stress. That comes up around money. You have. You've helped me a lot. No, I don't mean you. I know you don't, but I mean, I'm. I mean you, you. I know, the listener. But I'm making believing you mean me, mean right. me, because I have learned from watching the two of you. Because for Amy and me, we flip flopped that role a couple times. There was a time when we first got married where she did everything with the money. She was the breadwinner. She managed the checkbook and she managed the retirement account. Then when I got hired, gold at, digger. Oh, you know it. I know how to pick them. <laughs> I'm guessing that might get edited out, but we'll see. When we first met, she was in charge of all the money. When it came to managing it, I was doing a beautiful job of spending it, which caused conflict in our relationship. But then when I got my first big tap on the shoulder to move out west and work for the mutual fund company and I got that big pay raise, all of a sudden now the responsibility shifted back to me on managing all the money. So we never really had a division of labor. It was either all or nothing. And it certainly caused conflict. And to be able to watch the two of you and how you've managed the different components to your finances, I've learned a lot from it. And let's also be really clear and state for the record, Your Honor, that uh, I also wouldn't have been able to start Gebhardt Group hadn't been for Beth and her career. Oh, let's not misunderestimate the value of Mrs. Gebhardt's career. So she was money bags in her career doing very, very well and... I mean, my starting compensation at uh, at Merrill Lynch, three twenty five an hour, was uh, <laughs> was a little on the skinny side. Yeah, when I started at AG Edwards, it was a four hundred dollar a week draw. So I'm sure it wasn't much different from that. Do you remember what it was? It was thirty six thousand dollars a year. Ooh, it was three thousand dollars a month as a draw, but the draw was forgivable while you were a trainee, and then once you went into production, then it was a draw. All right, so but, you had three grand a month to live on, and there was no way to do that in the town that I lived in. And Beth was doing very well in her career. Yeah. And when we hitched wagons and got married, I do think there was a period there where it was awkward, where now the tables were turned, particularly once we started having children, and we made a joint decision for Beth to stay home. We would be in a much different financial situation had both of us stayed working. We live in a very expensive place. This is another area where we strongly advocate that you have conversation around this. And there isn't necessarily just things that are assumed or that just you just do, but that you slow this thing down and you talk about it. Because Beth and I made a conscious decision about six months after Emily was born that she was going to stay home full time. And having been a very successful person in her career and her field and having been making very good money for a very long time, there was a period of transition that was difficult for you emotionally, right? Yes, but it was knowing that, I mean, I felt good about the decision because that it, it felt like the right decision. And it was something that we talked about. And you and, made together. 
And we, yeah, and we made together. And, you know, I will say too that even though now I haven't had an income for 18 years, which seems kind of crazy, and sometimes it bugs me, and sometimes I would like to have an income. But Jim's never, you've never had the attitude of like, I get to spend the money how I want to spend the money because I make the money. Right. I mean, that's so. the, there's no I in team concept. Right. And a lot of conflict and resentment with money and marriage could be handled if you did slow things down and talk about it. So the probably the biggest thing I've learned from hanging out with the two of you is the communication with Amy about money. Now, we're not perfect at it. I still get all twitchy. Are we? when, we're yeah. not perfect we're at it. We're definitely not perfect. I know, at it. progress. Every time I see an Amazon box that doesn't have my name on it, I twitch. However, what we've done a much better job of is sitting down once a week and just talking about our money life. Where are we with stuff? Where She asked me, where are we with the business? We talk about where we are with the bills. Hey, we, we've got these two uh, medical bills that we've been sitting on for a while. We're ready to pay them. I mean, we just we get in sync with each other. Where are I, I need to make a purchase. It's August, back to school month. Let's let's sit down and plan out what we one need to do. One of my least favorite right. months. I mean, one of the most financially stressful months in both of our lives. Oh Cha-ching. It's the most expensive Jeez. month of our year. Happy holidays. And it's the one month a year my Amy does not get a paycheck because she's an 11-month employee at a school oh, district. Yeah. So that's always been a very challenging month for us, missing her income. But yet, when we sit down and communicate about it and talk about it ahead of time, that's something I've learned from watching the both of you. You are very, very good at talking with each other slowing things down, pausing, halting, thinking, waiting. All these acronyms were thrown out the last couple episodes. Even though you may not have thought of them in the terms of the acronyms, I've watched the both of you exhibit these acronyms with each other, and it's been very helpful to watch, and I'm grateful for it. Well, you're very kind because I, much like you, have had plenty of little mini train wrecks with impulsive spending. Sure. But I'll use some of the the landscaping that we've been wanting to touch up and redo for a while— and it just as much as it would be an impulse for me to call the either to, to go and buy the plants or to call the gardener and have him buy the plants and put them in and polish everything up and put in the light landscape lighting that we want and all this stuff in the priorities of where we need to be spending our money right now, it's just not a priority. Sure. And in, in And you in agree days, on that. Well, yes and Okay. In times of yore, I would have impulsively just done it. Uh. And I'm sure that's left a mark over time with Beth, and hopefully I've done my amends on cleaning that up. But now we do a much better job of slowing this thing down, and we have a 72-page document. No. (laughs) Family collaborative (laughs) operating agreement? No, no, no. No, we have a 94-line spreadsheet. No, sorry. (laughs) We have notes on our iPhone of different projects that we want to do or different places that we know we have money things coming up. And we've gotten much better at slowing it down. Yes. And talking about it and reprioritizing or saying, okay, no, this really, we need to do this now, and then maybe we can do that later. Is that a fair? Well, yeah, and it's not even notes on our iPhone. It's actually, I made a spreadsheet. Wow. Your wait, Honor, for wait the record, for it. Please, wait for it. Please, please, please denote May 14th, 5.15 p.m. It's not a Jim Gebhardt spreadsheet, because Jim Gebhardt has a special way of making spreadsheets. Is there and a pivot I do table? not make spreadsheets to his liking. They're personal. They are. Have well, you ever tried to read somebody's spreadsheet? No. They are personal. It's your own work of art. It's, it, yeah. yeah. I, I, I try to look at Allison's spreadsheets that she sends me, and she always sends me copy of da 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 And then I have to go in and make it my spreadsheet because I can't read it. Of course. It's like reading somebody else's handwriting. I love my sister. It's illegible. You can't read it. 
<laughs> spreadsheets, I guarantee you are the same way. All right, you crazy two wild spreadsheets. I know. Well, yeah, no. So, and I'm I'm thinking, why did we never do this before? They didn't it, have spreadsheets. It back only then. it only mm. took us 23 years of marriage to figure this out. To me, sort of the synopsis of it is: what's the tagline for financial sobriety? Being more intentional with your money. Be intentional with your money. Sorry, we got I, lots of taglines around here. Sorry, I couldn't come up with that. That's I okay. I did know it. It did just took me a little bit. That's okay. Um, be intentional with your money, and I think that that is it's such a simple concept. Yet for some reason, I don't feel like people have it. It's not top of mind. I don't think for many people. It hasn't always been top of mind for us. And by putting together this spreadsheet and spending time and we just we walked out, I mean, we have a house that needs to be remodeled and we have a lot of just stuff that needs to be done around the house. Lots deferred, of important stuff. Def- a lot of deferred maintenance. maintenance. A lot of deferred maintenance. And which we haven't wanted to do to spend the money on because we were going to remodel the house. So, and you know, now you, you get to a point where it's like, all right, this needs to happen. So anyway, we, we took a spreadsheet and, or a clipboard, a clipboard, one of my favorite things, clipboard. And we walked around the house inside and out and made a big old list mm-hmm. of everything that we, you know, down to like some more decorative throw pillows on the right. couch. Everything you wanted to do. Yeah. Right. That's um, why it was 72 pages. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was like, it was about a page, but then going back through and then prioritizing. Yeah. You know, and it's because we, I want to do it all now. We both right. want to do it all now. What it has done for me, it's first of all, it's the two of us being on the same page and having a plan and knowing as a couple and making the decisions together, okay, you know, what's going to be, what's the priority? And then going back through and then we prioritized, we're, we're not 100% finished on this. This is sure. an ongoing process. But it definitely does help to have the clarity and to know that you're working, you're, you're just on the same page. And, and you're, you're being intentional. And you're yeah. being intentional with yeah. the money. That's awesome. So, so there's wh- another exercise is to, it doesn't have to be your house and walk around with a clipboard, but it could be about where do you feel as though you're on the same page and where do you feel as though you're not on the same page? When it comes to? When it comes to money. Yeah. What if it's too hard to have that discussion? Then they should call us. They need some help. They, they need to go talk to their financial advisor. And if they don't have one, they can go online and find one. Absolutely. C- CFP.org. Is CFP.org. Helps punch you in your find, zip code. Punch in your zip code. You'll get a list of people that have passed the very rigorous and kind of industry standard for financial planning, the certified financial planning designation. And depending on where you live, because of what my career used to be, I have a network of wonderful advisors all over the country. So if... You do your homework. You can't get an introduction to an yeah, advisor through a friend. Send us an email at info at yourfinancialsobriety.com, and chances are, depending upon where you live, we may know somebody who thinks and feels and behaves the way we do with our clients, and we'd be happy to make that introduction for you. Yeah, trying to have a conversation about where you're on the same page and where you're not when it comes to money is vitally important. Awesome. God, we've, we've covered a lot here. This has been good stuff. Yeah, it's a little off script, but I hope it's helpful because there's a lot of people feeling stressed right now. Oh, yeah. And as we have said, the tagline of being intentional with your money is one of the core components of what we're trying to do here. Yes. But we're also trying to have impact. And I think one of the ways we can have impact in times of crisis like this is to just keep giving tools and tips and suggestions on things that are working for us. And, you know, we certainly hope they work for you. And these are all different parts of financial sobriety. When couples have financial sobriety, where they're able to communicate with one another, and if they're not able to do that, bring help in to help them communicate about these things, think for a moment about 
how much better life will be, how much stronger that relationship will be when we have a little bit more financial sobriety within the marriage. We are going through times where all of our money stories are changing. There are people who are listening today who may not have income coming in anymore. Right. So everything we know about money has completely changed, and it's an incredibly powerful exercise to sit down with your spouse today and have a conversation and do these exercises that we've suggested today. And if you've been listening to our prior episodes on vulnerability, on gratitude, and trust, and episode 14 on conflict resolution, those are going to help you immeasurably in having difficult conversations around money. And with that, my partner, Beth, thank you for being here. I love you, brother. Love you guys. That's a wrap. If you like what you heard, leave us a review and be sure to subscribe. And check out our website, yourfinancialsobriety.com. Thanks again for listening today. Here to help you find more clarity, confidence, and capability along your journey into financial sobriety. I'm Matthew Grishman. And I'm Jim Gebhardt. Be intentional with your money. Jim Gebhardt is a registered representative of and securities offered through Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, member SIPC. Jim Gebhardt and Matthew Grishman are investment advisor representatives of Gebhardt Group Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Brokers International Financial Services, LLC, and Gebhardt Group Incorporated are not affiliated. The opinions in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or investment recommendations. To determine which investments or financial advice may be appropriate for you, consult a financial advisor prior to investing. Any reference to market performance is based on historical information and there is no expressed or implied guarantee of future performance. Opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect those of Brokers International Financial Services, LLC. The topics discussed and opinions given are not intended to address the specific needs of any listener. Gebhardt Group Incorporated does not offer legal or tax advice. Listeners are encouraged to discuss their financial needs with the appropriate professional regarding your individual circumstance.